It's time for episode 111 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, November 4th, 2015. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, where this podcast goes to 111. It's one louder, isn't it? I am your co-host, Jason Snell, across the internet from me, my co-host, Mr. Dan Warren. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. Technically, it's 101 louder. That's just how we roll, though. Okay, that works, too. I'm, I'm fine with that. Anytime there are we can do a, a spinal tap reference, it's good. We have two fantastic guests that we're going to be talking about four technology topics for 30 minutes to my left going around the circle. It is Christina Warren from Mashable. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. And to my left, it's the executive editor of Macworld, Ms. Susie Oaks. Hi, Susie. Hey, Dan. What's up? Susie is our third most commonly uh, greeted guest on Clockwise in its history, I'm by the way. I'm number three. I'm number three. I'm going to go first. Here's my topic. We're going to talk a little bit about the Apple TV today because we, I believe, have all gotten our hands on the Apple TV over the last few days. Um apps on the Apple TV is what I wanted to talk about. We've all had a chance to use them now, and I'm just curious what your take is on the app side. Um, how are they right now, and is this really going to be the thing that makes this product uh, stand out and be uh, be more notable than perhaps the old Apple TV? Christina, what do you think? Yeah, you know what? Some of the apps are really good. I think it sort of depends, because there are two categories, right? There, Well, actually, there are three categories. There are your apps that are basically just exactly what was on the old Apple TV, so, you know, your, your stream services apps. Um, some of them have been updated to look better and take advantage of the new UI stuff and, and TVML, and some of them haven't quite. Uh, then you have um, games, and uh, then you have kind of like apps that, you know, like PCalc, which is on the Apple TV and uh, other kind of, uh, you know, different types of applications that you wouldn't think necessarily would be, um, they don't fall into the category, rather, of a streaming service or a game. Um, right now, you know, I'm actually working on a roundup of the best Apple TV apps. That's actually something I'm, I'm working on for Mashable right now. Brilliant. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Timing. Uh, Timing, right? And, 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 and I'm so not alone in this. I think we're all working on these lists. Yeah. And it's hard because you think you're done and then like Plex will come out with their app and you're like, okay, and now I've got to <laughs> actually like go back and use this. And is this better than Simple X or is this, you know, what's the deal? So far, I've, I've been actually really impressed. Um, there are still some growing pains and I think there's still a lot of developers who don't really know what they're doing as with any new platform. But I'll be maybe controversial and say that I think the first round of, of Apple TV apps is certainly better than the first round of watch os apps <laughs> and the second <laughs> <laughs> okay and the second so I, I i like them i mean i think that uh i, I don't know if it's going to become the differentiator for the platform that i think is a much broader i think that's a much more difficult question because i do think that fundamentally you buy an apple tv for airplay for some of those features and to watch content and the app stuff is nice and if they can come up with some really interesting apps then that's a great thing i don't think for instance games are going to be the, the second, third, or even fourth reason that most people buy the Apple TV. You know, I think that fundamentally that's a nice to have, but I couldn't see anybody saying, well, the reason I'm getting the Apple TV over the Roku is because of the games. Um, so I, I don't know. That's sort of, that's sort of my take. I, I like where they're going, but I don't know if, at least as they exist now, if it's going to be the monumental game changer, so to speak. We've kind of seen this pattern now a bunch of times, right? I mean, you know, with the iPhone, with the iPad, to a certain extent with the Apple Watch, and we kind of know what to expect to a certain extent with apps because, you know, what it does is it sort of takes some of the power out of Apple's hand. Previously, the old Apple Ts were like, you know, very dictatorial. Apple's like, this is what's going to be on it. 
that's what you get. Uh, and now we have the opening of third parties to be able to come in and sort of write apps for things. But what that means is a huge range in quality. You're going to end up with some apps that are quite good, and you're going to end up with a lot of apps that are probably pretty crappy. Uh, and so that's both good and bad. I mean, the, the trick with these is always to figure to sort of, as we're talking about, separate the wheat from the chaff and figure out what are the good apps that are worth my time. Um, and so I think, you know, by putting the hand, you know, the power in the hands of both the consumers who have a choice of what to use and the developers who can, you know, are work outside some of the strictures that Apple used to enforce, I think that's all to the positive. Um, but I think it does mean that the Apple TV experience, in theory, is going to be now very different from player from person to person in the same way that your iPhone experience. You're, you know, you pick up someone else's iPhone. It's like, I can't find anything. I don't know. Why are you a monster and organize your iPhone terribly? <laughs> uh, so now you'll sit down in front of someone else's TV and be like, oh, where are all the apps that I want. Um, and so I, I think that it, you know, that opens up a lot of range of possibilities. And I'm intrigued to see what happens. But it also means that we end up with these very disparate experiences sometimes. The one the one thing I mainly noticed when I, uh, you know, fired up the new Apple TV and installed Netflix and Hulu was I had been using an Amazon Fire TV for many months now. And the Fire T the new Apple TV versions of Hulu and Netflix look pretty close to the Fire TV versions because clearly it's in their interest to sort of reuse their code. Mm -hmm. um, and that means we're not getting like an Apple-ish interface or an interface designed for an Apple product. We're getting the interface those companies want to design and promulgate. And so that means that that experience can potentially be a lot more uneven than it has been in the past. And so I can see why, you know, the future of TV is apps, I think that there is a, a lot of option in there and it makes sense in a way that channels doesn't necessarily make sense anymore from like a live TV perspective. But it also means that I think we're going to end up with something that's going to be in some ways a lot more disjointed than what we used to have. Yeah, I'm, I agree with a lot of what everybody said. I think that the, the apps that are on the Apple TV now aren't really changing everything as much as this whole app store thing is kind of catching up. Apple up to what the rest of the competition's doing. Um, some of the categories have seemed really promising to me, like fitness, but fitness apps aren't really new on set-top boxes. I mean, Roku and Fire TV and Chromecast have gone there. Um, the Apple TV had some, the old Apple TV had some clunkier versions. You could like install an iOS app and then airplay the video from to your Apple TV from inside that app, but you know now having them native, that's a you know that's a big step forward. But it's we're just kind of catching up. But then again, um, iOS and I, th I think you know attracts really great developers, and Apple has a you know a reputation of attracting great developers and having a very robust and creative platform. So the apps on the Apple TV, I mean, they could you know over time push forward the creativity of smart TV apps. Um, but I think it's you know it's it's the developers that are going to surprise us more than you know, anything Apple does. Yeah, I like the fact that the uh, open app store means that essentially you don't have to be a huge player to get your app on the Apple TV, which sort of was the case before because Apple had uh, complete control over what channels uh, got built. I also like the fact that now you can have apps that are more capable, like the Plex app, which is uh, which is streaming from a server in your house that's transcoding on the fly and all this stuff that you know previously you couldn't. Uh, there there are files that you. You couldn't play on the Apple TV without encoding them differently, and now uh, Plex will make that happen. So th that's all good. I also am struck by the fact that there are a lot of, uh, especially games that have been brought over from iOS that uh, playing on a big TV in your living room, 
is a really different experience than playing uh, on an iPad or an iPhone. And I don't mean that positively or negatively. It's just different. I was playing Alto's Adventure the other day with uh, my family sitting around uh, doing other stuff in the living room because I was just trying it out. And I realized every time that I jumped uh, and tried to do a backflip when I didn't really have enough room to do it, my wife would declare, nope. <laughs> and watch me as I as I biffed on the snow and I had to start again. And I realized, wow, I'm not used to playing Alto's Adventure with people watching me. So it's a different I hate experience, this experience, which is kind of which is kind of fun. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Thank you all for uh, for uh, chiming in on that topic, Christina. It's your turn. What uh, do you have for us? Yes. Yeah, so uh, you know, yesterday some people might have noticed on Twitter that they made it. They made a change. We fear change. <laughs> We do fear change. Twitter users especially fear change. They got rid of the heart and it's now, or excuse me, they got rid of the stars and it's now hearts. So what was favorites are now likes. And uh, that's uh, across all their official apps. If you use a third-party app like Tweetbot or Twitterific, obviously those are still stars. Um, but um, it's opened up kind of this interesting discussion. So I wanted to talk about whether this is just more proof that Twitter's failing until there's a Google acquisition, or if this is really just like much ado about nothing but semantics. So, so far, as someone who does also use primarily third-party Twitter clients like Tweetbot, you know, this is not something that has rippled downwards yet, although it sounds like from what I've heard, it will. It will. I don't know. It's weird because it is a big change, but at the same time, I'm not sure I care. Uh, At the end of the day, the feature is going to be used for what the feature is going to be used for. And it doesn't sound like they're really changing the mechanics of it. They're just changing the way that it's branded. Uh, And well, is that like a flailing move on Twitter's part? Maybe. Uh, I think that there is a valid point to people didn't really know what to do with the star in the past. And maybe the heart will be clearer. But I had the same problem when it was uh, Apple Music added the little heart icon with, you know, when they rolled out the service there. But you could also still rate songs and give things like thumbs up and thumbs down. It's like there's just too many ways to express my opinion. And most of the time I I can't be bothered. So I think the answer for me is I'm just going to keep using the star heart whatever the way that i've always used it uh and i think after a couple months we'll probably just be like oh yeah i remember when there used to be stars yeah yeah i agree the clearest argument i saw um offered up yesterday was that hearts might imply endorsement in a way that stars don't and some people just use stars as like bookmarks or use an if uh, if this then that recipe to you know send everything they star to a Google spreadsheet or something, um, and they're not, you know, saying like, "Oh, I, I heart this," you know, in a way that you would thumbs up something on Facebook just to say like, "Yes, I, su- I support this." Um, but still, that's that is kind of a semantic difference, and it seems overblown because you can use hearts the same way. Um, I was a little credulous that Twitter thinks that this is going to make it better for for noobs somehow, and that a heart is clearer than a than a star. Um, but the the biggest emotion I guess I had was uh, I just can't wait, and I'm also very frightened to see the Twitterati just lose its mind if they ever made like a serious change, <laughs> mm-hmm. like the rumors that you know they might get rid of the character count or, or something like that. So because like this was a big deal on Twitter yesterday, everyone was freaking out. Yeah, I'm not sure that in practice. The, I mean, in practice, the feature didn't change. They literally, it's just the icon and mm-hmm. the way that they describe it that changed. And and uh, and it's not even to a Facebook concept. It's I mean, Facebook has the idea of liking, but they use a thumbs up symbol. So this is a little bit more like Instagram. Um, I 
I think it's probably, I think having us as a culture uh, agree on a binary thing that says I recognize this object of social media is probably not a bad thing. Um, the hearts, I mean, I'm the guy who likes to use blue heart emoji instead of red heart emoji because I feel like the red heart emoji is a little too forward. So History's I, I, worst monster. I, I don't know exactly <laughs> what I think about the, the red hearts on this other than that it's not going to change how I use. I already, I already wasn't using favorites as favorites. Um, I was using them mostly as bookmarks and it's only in the last six months or, or a year that I've started using them as a communication method now that uh, Twitter's official clients show you uh, do a better job of showing you when somebody has faved a tweet of yours so I think it kind of doesn't matter um, to, to Christina to your um, I think broader point is this rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic well <laughs> yeah if this is their big idea of big change <laughs> then it is because this is this is a minor dumb thing that you get the feeling like somebody uh, wanted to do this and it was no 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 and now those those people whether it's jack or it's somebody who works for jack they feel empowered like no we're gonna do it now we're all the stars are gonna be hearts and fine it doesn't it's not gonna affect twitter's future one way or another i think yeah no i i, I tend to kind of agree and and i'm i'm with i'm with both of uh both you Susie and, and jason or i think this is a lot of this is just semantical kind of argument for argument's sake and i love the twitter outrage over it i'm also currently working on an op-ed called in defense of hearts <laughs> um i don't even care i just more think that the outrage machine over the fact that, oh, no, but when I favorited things, I was really subfaving because I was really being like sarcastic and, and, and mean and bitter and being like, oh, well, I'm saving this for later. But how <laughs> dare, how dare my passive- can't be used in the same yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. How dare my passive aggressive <laughs> immature behavior, which I'm guilty of myself, I'm not even going to front, how dare my passive aggressiveness not, uh, no longer be able to exist in my own weird little world of media Twitter. Like it's- Come on. Regardless of whether you intended it to be an endorsement or not, everyone has looked at what people favorite and has used that as an endorsement, whether it has been or hasn't been. So I don't see why changing it from a fave to a like is uh, is any different. All right. Well, that's two topics and we've got two more to go. It's halftime. Halftime sponsor this week on Clockwise is Fracture the company that will take your favorite images, prints them directly onto glass for you to proudly display or give as gifts. I am proudly displaying fractures in my office right now. I have had them given to me as gifts, so I totally get what they're saying here. And uh, everybody over at Fracture wanted us to say a huge thanks to everybody out there in podcast listening land who have been giving Fracture a chance to print your favorite photos. Uh, I I really love Fracture and the prints they create. I've got uh, all of these uh, podcast artwork squares up on my wall here. Uh, plus, I've got a couple of photos, uh, even like a piece of art. They're all printed onto glass, so you don't need a frame or anything like that. They come packed very carefully, uh, and they're beautiful right out of the box. You can hang them right up, or uh, or if you want, if you prefer, you can put them on a on a desk or something like that. Uh, the team at Fracture super passionate about helping people display memories, accomplishments with these glass prints they produce. And it's great that everybody out there listening has been trying them out. Now, here is the warning I want to give you about Fracture. Every Fracture is printed and hand-assembled in the Fractory. I got it right this time. It's not a factory. It's a Fractory because it's Fracture, you see. It's a Fracture Fractory. It's Fracture Fractory Factory you get it, in Gainesville, Florida. I can say Florida, at least. So, with the holidays coming up, here's the thing. 
If you're considering giving a fracture or two as gifts in December, it's November now. Start making plans right now. The queue will fill up. There are only so many fractures that they can make at the Fractory. So get those orders in now. They do make amazing gifts for your family and friends. You can rescue those photos that are sitting on your devices. They're amazing pictures. They're in your photos library. They're in your Instagram feed. Uh, Put them on glass and hang them on a wall or give them as a gift. That's how you should do it. Go to FractureMe.com to learn more and get started and if you use the code clockwise, you'll get 15% off of your first order and let them know that you listen to clockwise. So thank you to Fracture for supporting Relay FM and sponsoring clockwise halftime. And uh, that's it. Dan, what is our third topic? Well, I thought we'd step away from the Apple TV for just a moment to talk about rumors of a four inch iPhone launching next spring. Now, this is a rumor that we heard, I think up and running up to the iPhone 6S and 6S Plus launch this fall. Obviously it didn't materialize, but it is one of those rumors that may never die. So my question for you guys is, um, more than do you think this is plausible, do you think there's still a market for those smaller smartphones or do you think this ship has sort of sailed and we're all gonna you know, live in our glorious new gigantic smartphone future? I don't think the ship has sailed. I mean, if you have a big phone, it can be hard to go back to a little phone. I'll pick up like an iPhone 4S or something and be like, oh, it's so cute. It's this little <laughs> screen. But when the rumor went around this last go-round, we heard tons from Macworld readers and commenters that were all about it. I mean, people have different sized hands and different sized purses and different sized jeans pockets and different needs. And I mean, Apple knows that one size doesn't fit all because they sell two sizes. So they could sell three. um, But what I want is maybe some other more options. So it's, I mean, it's easy to make fun of Samsung for having so many phones that, you know, have the same name almost. Um, But I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, maybe like a a slightly thicker phone that had a bigger battery or like a, a rugged phone that was, you know, built to be really tough without needing a case. They push personalization a lot with the Apple Watch. So I think they could bring that philosophy back over to the iPhone. I mean, they have more colors, they have two sizes. Why not keep it going? I've heard like Susie from a lot of people who really want it to happen. And I've never believed that Apple was going to abandon that size. I always believed it was going to be a lower priority and they felt like the bigger phones were going to serve other markets and help them expand and grow in other markets that uh, really want larger phones. But I feel like there, there is a market for the four inch phone. It doesn't exist only because we couldn't make a bigger phone. <laughs> and so this is as big as it can be for now. Uh, so I think, I think it makes sense. I think it makes sense for Apple to do it. It's not a priority for them. It doesn't even come out in the fall, but revising it in the spring so that they can get rid of the iPhone 5, essentially, and upgrade its parts with something that's got some more stuff like maybe Apple Pay, but in that small size. I think it just makes too much sense to keep it around. There's no reason, uh, I think, not to do it. I think there's an opportunity there. I think there are people who want 4-inch phones. I hear from them all the time. It's not everybody. It, it's going to be a niche market. It may be even smaller than the, than the jumbo iPhone 6 Plus uh, market may be. It may be the smallest of all of their uh, sort of newish models, but it doesn't matter um, because I, d- I definitely think there are people out there who want it. I prefer the size of the iPhone 6, but um, I, I, you know, there's a market for it. Why not do it? Uh, why not spread the product line a little wider, I say? I think there's a market for it, but I don't know if it's a big enough market. I mean, unless they have a bunch of, of four-inch screens lying around, and they want to just, you know, um, slap in, you know, the guts of an iPhone six into those screens. I don't know 
if there's necessarily a reason, because the only market I can see really for this would be a, a, for, from a cost perspective, if they're selling this for a lower price. So if they're trying to go after India um, or, or other kind of emerging markets, maybe that's a, a place they could go. Because I, I mean, I think that the sales have demonstrably shown that whatever market from the people that we all hear from and, and people we talk to on, on Twitter and on, on our respective sites of who want that smaller device, iPhone sales as a trend have gone up like seismically because of the bigger devices, because of the six and the six uh, plus sizing. Like it, it, it's, it completely is the reason why iPhone sales are now so much bigger than they were, you know, two years ago, uh, because they finally embraced the bigger phone trend that everyone else was doing. So I, I don't, I guess I'm going to be the w- kind of somebody who dissents here because I, I don't know if there's really a reason for them to do this at all, unless they just have a bunch of four inch screens and they can, you know, make it a less expensive phone that'll have slightly more modern guts. But in that case, I could see them still just continuing to sell the 5S. Um, and, and you know, which is something they've done before in the past where they sold, you know, the 4 for the longest time. And then they sold the 4S for the longest time. And that was kind of their emerging market phone. And they don't really care about giving those people the best specs. So I don't under, I, don't, I guess I'm not really of the opinion that Apple feels like they need to offer a compelling, faster, better four-inch device when that's really not their target customer. Yeah, I'm kind of skeptical that this will happen, but I agree with, you know, the, or at least I too have seen the people who really, really want smaller phones. Um, And I think that the biggest argument in favor of it is that we have seen Apple has especially recently um, made a big deal about screen size being a huge differentiator. Uh, We not only now have an iPad Air and an iPad Mini, but the forthcoming iPad Pro as well. And sort of if you look at mirroring that product lines, it kind of makes sense to have a smaller iPhone, a midsize iPhone and a giganto iPhone. So I can see that sort of, you know, for Apple being covering all of its bases. But I am also at the same time not sure if they feel like that would be going backwards. Uh, And certainly you could make a smaller phone that has you know, updates the technology and stuff that we have from the iPhone 5 era. And I think it might sell very well. But Apple doesn't always do things that we all think make perfect sense. So I'm not convinced that they will actually go ahead and do this. Um, so I, I think that while it would be uh, while it would be something that appeals to a lot of people, I'm just not convinced that it's it's something Apple's going to do, especially for an out of cycle, mm. you know, replacement. But I, you know, hope springs eternal. Uh, that's three topics. Susie, what's your topic? Well, we're going to go back to the Apple TV because I just love TV. Um, at launch, the Apple TV didn't support Apple's very own remote app for iOS, which was a bummer because the first thing you do with an Apple TV is you have to enter your Apple ID and password and your Netflix name and password and a bunch of usernames and passwords. And you can't do that with a software keyboard on your iPhone because it's not supported. So I was wondering... Um, you know, at press time, we're still waiting. I got to believe that they're going to update it someday. But do you guys think that it's it's really no big deal they didn't have this because that's like a power user thing? Or do you think this is kind of embarrassing for Apple and shows like, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know that they're kind of slacking off in the software department? So at the event in September, <laughs> I asked a, a person, and again, these are Apple employees who are trained to, about what to say and what not to say at these events. I asked somebody by the Apple TV, part of the Apple TV brigade, 
what about the remote app? Are you going to update the remote app to, to work with this? And, and his, I expected this response would either be, oh, yes, that will happen in time, or I don't really know about that. And instead, what he said to me was, no. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> um, and, and that's been borne out that we haven't seen it. Now, it may be that the way that the old Apple remote app is built is not really compatible with this new Apple TV. And maybe there's a new Apple TV app or something that's coming. Um, I do think they, they missed the boat here. They have We have the inklings of a really nice setup where you hold your phone near the Apple TV and they pair and you verify and it, and it links to your account. And it feels like it would be a natural next step for the Apple TV to continue letting you use your iPhone to do things like input uh, usernames and passwords because that is a, a, a huge pain. And this once you get it all set up, it kind of doesn't matter anymore. But the setup is, you know, Apple puts so much effort into engineering these amazing cardboard boxes that their products come in and i feel like this is where it kind of gets uh off off track a little bit is that then you open the box up you take the little pretty piece of hardware out you plug it in and then you get frustrated and apple needs to smooth that out more so whether it's the remote app or some other way we've got our ios devices almost anybody who is going to be using one of these things has an ios device too um there should be a better way to do password input and text input in general and i i know you know, you can use Siri for search. I don't think that's as big a deal, but for usernames and passwords, please, there needs to be something. And they, they really missed the boat by not having something available at launch. I hope it's coming. Uh, yeah, I, I actually wrote a post yesterday called the, the single worst feature of the <laughs> Apple TV that was focused exclusively on the text input. And as you said, Jason, like the, the search part is amazing. It's like the best ever. Like the voice search is freaking phenomenal. It's best in class. And I have every single one of these devices. Um, but text input, especially if you're doing logins for usernames and passwords is awful. And I didn't realize how far apart all the letters in Christina are until I had to enter them in on Mm -hmm. a grid. And when you do that 18 times for different logins, it's frustrating. So I actually made a little video on Mashable showing how long it took for me to type out, uh, this is bulls blank. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I I did the full word and it's a minute. The video is a minute long and I didn't, I wasn't trying to go slow. I was, that genuinely took me a minute to type out this space is space bulls. Yeah. And you capitalize the B, so just for extra pain. For extra pain, because I wanted to show off how bad that was. And then people in the comments told me, oh, well, if you press the you know, the play pause button, that'll switch. Okay, well, that was really discoverable. Thanks, Apple. Um, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad to know that they actually told you they weren't updating the app, because when I reached out to them, I got radio silence. I didn't get yeah. any update at all. So me too. I, I got nobody have said anything to me. So I've been like, is this... I, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think it's sad, though. And I do feel like the one downside of this device is text entry. And it'd be so simple to just, uh, and maybe it's not so simple. Maybe they have to rewrite the whole code. Okay, so rewrite it. But like, give us the opportunity to control, you know, the, you've got a best in class remote, but let us actually use text input the right way. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, way back in the day, I don't know if this is still true, but several years ago, I was talking to someone who knew folks at Apple, and I heard through them that the remote app was basically written by one guy. <laughs> like, there were a number of apps that just one guy was in charge of, and it's possible, I don't know, maybe that guy left. Um, or maybe <laughs> hey, where's, just, where's Joe? Yeah, I, I, seriously. And I, <laughs> it's, it's funny because we all see Apple as a gigantic company with all these people, and it turns out that some of these projects are, in fact, very small. Um, and it is kind of perplexing. Um, I, I do think... So here's the thing, you know, you, first of all, you're talking about a set-top box, and in general, anything where you want a simple enough remote to, to control it is going to be too, you know, not not sufficient for entering text. 
I will say, A, I think the previous Apple TV had a better layout. It had sort of like a yes, vertical grid. Yeah. And that was much more, you could move in two dimensions, which actually speeds things up quite a bit. Um, micro, I think the Xbox uses a similar thing for entering text, and it's really also atrocious. Um, I will say the thing that's more puzzling to me than the remote app lack is that it has, the Apple TV has Bluetooth and yet doesn't support pairing Bluetooth keyboards currently. Which is mind-boggling. Yeah, also strange. Yeah, I don't up. get that at all because that's a pretty standard feature that you know should not be too hard to implement. Um, and that was I was trying to pair my keyboard, and then I had to go look up, and I think I actually found the MacWorld article about that. And I was like, "What?" <laughs> and I said several things that were unprintable. Here's the thing: like I feel like even further, you know, like app, like uh, Jason was saying earlier with the setup process, you know, Apple already has so much of this information. Like the iCloud keychain stores all of my logins for like Netflix, Hulu, all of that stuff. Why can't we just sync it over and have it already know what all my accounts are? I just, that's madness to me. I mean, if you're going to control the whole widget, the hardware and the software and everything and make it work within your ecosystem, take advantage of all that your ecosystem has to offer. So, you know, let's let's dial back on just what requires text entry, period. I mean, because if we have Siri for doing searches and it could sync over my accounts, I really wouldn't be entering text very much and this probably wouldn't bother me at all. Yes, they need to do something because it's it's a major pain point and it's the first thing that you do. So that's that seems like a huge oversight. All right, we just have time for our bonus question. The bonus question really quick this time. Simply, uh, we've been talking a lot about Apple TV. What's your favorite TV show right now on the air? Christina? Um, it doesn't come back for its next season until January, but I have to say it's a tie between the Americans and if, for one that's actually still airing, I would say Fargo. Fargo right now, the second season is unreal. All right, Dan? Uh, I'm going to have to go with uh, my cross-network synergy here and say Arrow, uh, which is also the show I recap over at The Incomparable. Uh, and, and The Flash is pretty close in terms of it. Those are, those are pretty even for me. But since I recap Arrow, I have to give it uh, the, the one up there. Well done, Dan. Uh, Susie? I just started watching You're the Worst, which oh, is on so good. FXX. So funny. So the first season is on Hulu now. So yeah. they, they just started the second season, but I'm catching up with the first season on Hulu, and I love it. It's super great. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow in Dan's footsteps and say, right now, Doctor Who is on, so I'm going to say Doctor Who. But I probably would give the edge at the, at the moment to Game of Thrones, which is not on the air currently. I recap both of those shows at uh, The Incomparable, and that is not surprising because they're shows I'm excited about. All right, we have reached the end that's been 30 minutes of fun. Uh, Christina Warren, thank you for being on again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Glad to be on anytime. And Susie Oaks, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, guys. Always fun. Dan, pleasure as always. Uh, only 900 more episodes until we get to do a binary episode again. That's good. This is the, the last one for a little while. We all welcome our 112 overlords next week. But until then... See you in 30 years. We remind you, watch what you say. <laughs> Keep watching the clock. It's ticking in binary. Bye. <laughs>